Amen, amen. You may take a seat. Uh, the sprouts can be dismissed at this time. The children can go with Paul and Susanna. Let's give our sprout leaders a round of applause as they serve our little ones this morning. Such a good ministry. Hosea chapter 3. Turn in your Bibles with me, please. Um, Hosea chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, find your table of contents in the front. You can find the page number in your Bible for the book of Hosea. Follow along as I read. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Father, we ask that you open our eyes to your word this morning. We believe that uh, without your spirit moving in our hearts and and, uh, in our minds, that these words could easily be missed, they could be lost in the air, that my words would just simply be words. God, we don't uh, need to just sit here. Nobody needs to sit here and just listen to me talk for however many minutes. Um, That would just be a waste of time. Uh, We ask that for each one of us as we sit today, as I speak, as uh, these people listen, I pray that you do something in our midst right here in this room, that you speak to our hearts, that you open us up, open our eyes to the reality of our, the the hardness of our hearts, to our deadness. Open our ears that we may hear what it is that you have to say. Open our minds so that we may understand. God, speak to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. I want to draw your attention to that word right there in verse 1 of chapter 3. The Lord said to me, look at this word, again. Go again. The repetition of Hosea's love, the relentless pursuit of Hosea for a wayward bride. Now, I want you to see the painful irony in this first statement. He says, go again and do what? He says, love a woman who is loved by another. God, throughout the scriptures, calls prophets to some wild and crazy things. He calls Isaiah to walk naked and barefoot. He called Jeremiah to wear a yoke around his neck. He called Ezekiel to 
lay on his right side and then his left side for prolonged periods of time. What he calls Hosea to is, in my estimation, just beyond crazy and wild. What he calls Hosea to is, is a painful and extraordinary lifelong task of seeking to love a woman who doesn't want to be his. She doesn't want to be loved by him. To love a woman who wants to be loved by other men. I was counseling a friend uh, some years ago now, I guess, who was uh, working long hours, uh, consumed with, with his job, just sort of over and above uh, his co-workers. And then his evenings were filled with a lot of good things. He was involved in a lot of ministries, said yes to just about everything. Uh, yet I remember we, he was sitting in my office and he was tired. And he was worn out. Not only he, but his family was taking a toll. He was burned. And the more we talked, the more I began to discover that what we would celebrate as sort of like positive work ethic, you, you keep busy, you're doing a lot of good things, a lot of good ministry. It was driven by the worry of what ifs. What if I don't have enough money? I have to keep going. What if uh, I say no to somebody and, and, and they're upset, so I say yes? What if things fall apart around me? What I found was this. Doing good things, a, life, a, a full, packed, busy life, driven by a slavery to worry. And what ifs? Most of us as Christians today are not going to be so explicit in our sin uh, to where we would look like Gomer. Uh, I mean, few of us are going to be like crazy sex lives, all different kinds of partners on a regular basis, just going away from God's, or going to crazy like naked parties Listen, for most of us, it's going to be much more subtle, subtle than that. It's not going to be this like outward sort of external, man, that guy is a, a, is a slave to sin. But we might be a slave to worry. We might be a slave to stress. We might be a slave to what ifs. We might be a slave to pleasing men. Look at the text. He, so there's this relentless pursuit of loving a woman who's an adulteress. And then in verse 1, most people say this verse is the most important verse in the whole book because it shows us what it's all, this whole story is about. He connects it immediately to the children of Israel. He says, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other God and love cakes of raisins. Now, we saw in our first study in this, in chapter 1, that the issue is spiritual adultery equals 
idolatry. The issue is idolatry, this turning to other gods, this cakes of raisins that God has nothing against, sort of sun-made California raisins, thank God. But he does have something against cakes of raisins that are made for the love feast for Baal, all right? And so this is part of their Baal worship. Actually, in Jeremiah, they are uh, reprimanded for making cakes to the, to the moon, to the queen of heaven, if you would. And so here, the issue then is idolatry. And then we saw last week that uh, there are these lies that we all buy, that Gomer bought, that Israel was buying, and that we buy today that lead us to spiritual adultery and idolatry. Uh, today, what I want to do, and here's the hope with this passage, I want to point out four facts of Hosea's love for Gomer. Four facts that really just make Hosea look amazing, okay? To so, like lift Hosea up and say, this guy was phenomenal. And what I want to do then is try to connect that with us today in our spiritual walk, the actual meaning of that story, the reason God called Hosea to this kind of extraordinary task. And I want us to see then these four facts of God's love and pursuit of us. So that we may see that he is enough. So that we may see that, that, that God, let me, let me actually back up. Who owns you? I want you to see this morning that God owns you. And I want you to see how freeing that actually is. So let's just dive into it right now. Hosea chapter 3, we're going to look at four facts in this story and then relate it to God's love for us today. So the first fact is this. Look at verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. The, the first fact is that Gomer is in slavery. How do we know that? In Exodus chapter 21 verse 32 it says that a slave is worth 30 shekels. Look how much he pays for Gomer. He pays 15 shekels of silver. You say, where's the other 15? He grabs a homer and a lethic of barley. A homer would have been worth 10 shekels. A lethic is half a homer. And so that would have been worth five shekels. Now, the mathematicians among us would tell you that 15 plus 10 plus 5 equals 30. So what he's doing here is he's buying her out of slavery. In the ancient world, you would fall into slavery because you had a debt that you could not pay. Often an adulterous wife would, would, would be led to a life of prostitution because her worth would drop, and at some point she would then fall into a debt that she could not pay. Now we see Gomer being sold into slavery. Listen, I want you to see the, the utter spiral of Gomer's life here. She began with this happy marriage with Hosea, began looking to other men, looking away, fell into some relationships. She gave him two children, it looks like, that were not his. And then it, not long after, she's taking wages. Chapter 2, verse 12. She becomes a prostitute working the corner. And at this point, what it seems is happening in the story is she is now on the auction block. She's now being sold into slavery. I want you to see here the spiritual connection with this. 
when Hosea, or when Gomer was married to Hosea, when, when, when she first married him, and that marriage went on, at some point, now the text doesn't say this, but I think it's implicit, at some point, she began to feel that Hosea just simply wasn't enough for her. She probably began to feel that marriage to Hosea, being owned by Hosea as his wife, marriage to Hosea was slavery. Like, I need to get out of this. There are other guys out there that are more fun than he is, that are more exciting than he is. They, they just inspire something in me that he doesn't do for me. And so, so, like, slavery is in here and freedom is out there and I'm not happy to remain right here. Let me just say this, broadly speaking, every marital affair begins with those three words, I'm not happy. Slavery in here. I can't take it. I feel chained up. It's too narrow. And if I can get out, I find freedom. Friends, is this not the, 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 the sin of Adam and Eve? God is enslaving us in this garden. There's so much more to be attained out there. There is knowledge that is to be attained. And the very thing that can give us knowledge, we're not allowed to eat it. The fruit, he's enslaving us. He's limiting us. It's too narrow. And so freedom is out there. What is sin? What is sin? Sin is believing that, that uh, I'm going to use just a strong word, that slavery to God is slavery. And that freedom from God is actually freedom. Whereas the truth is the opposite. When we find ourselves outside of the garden, we free ourselves from God. Gomer frees herself from her marriage. What does she find? What is the picture we're receiving here? She finds herself eventually on, on the auction block. She finds herself in slavery. Freedom from God is slavery to sin. And slavery to God is freedom. Let me, let me break this down a little bit for us. Ways that we seek freedom from God. A couple, I, I wrote a couple down here. We, we seek freedom from spiritual disciplines. We say the idea of uh, gathering for worship on every stinking Sunday. Like when I was a kid, I remember asking my, my mom, like, don't we get a summer break? Like, when does this thing end? And my mom was like, no, we never, we're never off. I'm like, oh my gosh. For the rest of my life, little did I know I would be a pastor. But we seek, we seek freedom from the spiritual disciplines. It seems too much. The means of grace that we are to partake in, uh, to, to encourage and recognize and celebrate baptisms, to regularly be taking communion together as a church family, the spiritual disciplines of uh, prayer and scripture reading and accountability with each other. Like it's just too much. 
Like, I just want to be a Christian and not have to worry about the means of grace. I want to be a Christian and not have to worry about the spiritual disciplines. Just me and God. We seek freedom. And we think that there's freedom to be found. We seek freedom from biblical sexuality. We believe it's just too narrow. I want to do with my sexuality what I want to do. We seek freedom from having to be a Christian at work. How many times has it crossed your mind, do I really have to be a Christian seven days a week? Like, when I'm at my job, and, and when things aren't going well, and the attitude that just starts coming up, the anger, do I really have to worry about being a Christian all of the time? We seek freedom. We seek freedom in more subtle ways. As an example, uh, God says, um, through Christ, if I take care of the birds of the field, or the birds of the air, and the lilies of the field, how much more will I take care of you? And then we worry. We live a life of anxiety. Why? What is worry? Worry is freedom from the promises of God. We have removed ourselves from the promises of God. We have freed ourselves and we don't trust God's word. We trust our own. Sin is seeking freedom from God. Romans chapter 6 verse 16. Do you not know, he says, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. What's that saying? He's saying, here's how you can tell whether or not you have a, a, a slavery to sin, whether or not you are enslaved. Ask yourself, who or what do I obey? The one that you obey or the thing that you obey or the craving that you obey answers the question for you whether or not you are enslaved to sin. Now, there are two common forms of slavery, just as a pastor, pastorally speaking, that I come across all the time in my own life and in the life of our church family and others. The two most common forms of slavery that I see is the slavery to our flesh and the slavery to man. What I mean by that is this, the slavery to flesh. We are enslaved to our desires. So if I crave it, then I obey it. If my body desires it, I obey the desire. I give in to whatever my body, my flesh tells me to do. What are you obeying? Who are you obeying? Slavery to man, the second form that I often see. The slavery to man. Living instead of the fear of God, we live in the fear of man. Fearing the loss of affirmation. Fearing the loss of approval. The what-ifs. Being driven by every demand that man brings to our table. Who are you obeying this morning? So the first fact here that we see in this story is that Gomer was in slavery. Second fact is this, look at it. Verse 2, so I bought her for 15 shekels and some barley. 
Second fact is this. Listen, Hosea buys Gomer out of slavery. Here she is on the auction block, and he buys his own wife. Listen, I want you to see the desperation in this passage right here. A slave costs how many shekels? 30 shekels of silver. Look what Hosea does. It seems that he hears his wife is for sale. Through the grace of God, he is given the desire to pursue her. And so he then goes after her. He looks around the house. He looks in his pockets. He doesn't have 30 shekels of silver. He has 15. He goes to the barn and he finds a homer and then a lethic of barley. He puts together what he can put together that's worth 30. And he walks down to the corner. Hosea, under the law, had the right to demand her death. In Leviticus chapter uh, chapter 10, or chapter 20, verse 10, Hosea has the right to demand her death. Even in the New Testament, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, look, for adultery, I will permit a divorce. From a human standpoint, Hosea is out of his mind. Like from a human standpoint, his love doesn't make any sense. From a human standpoint, the idea of she's for sale now, I'm going to put together whatever I can and buy her out of slavery, it makes absolute no sense. And friends, that's the point of the story. God's love for me makes absolutely no sense. I often hear friends debating the doctrine of election. Like, they'll say something like, man, I can get my mind around this, like, total depravity, like we are depraved. But it's just this election, this doctrine of election that I have a problem with. Guys, the election, the fact that God has elected us, should not incite a riot, but what it should do is it should incite worship in us. That Hosea has unconditionally chosen to love a wife who has gone and gone and gone and now being sold as a slave and he still chooses her to be his own. The worship that that should incite in our hearts as we think about God's love for us. We are Gomer. We are Gomer, Romans chapter 8, then shows us God's saving action for us. We, we had a whole series on it. In Romans chapter 8, it shows that salvation is logical, that God has this sort of logical process and grace. The only thing that is illogical about salvation as I think about it is simply this. Why did God choose me? It doesn't make any sense. And that's what we're seeing here. Second fact is that God 
loves us and chose us. Hosea chose to go after his wife who is being sold. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. You are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. You see, we were the ones enslaved to sin. And God bought us with a great price. The Father sent His Son to purchase us out of slavery. The Son gave His very own life, His very own blood to purchase us out of slavery. Third fact, let's keep going here. Look at verse 3. And I said to her, so he buys her. You, got the, you guys following with the picture here? Buys her, brings her home. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. And you shall not play the whore belong to another man, so I will also be to you. Third fact is this. In Gomer's life, there is going to be a change. There will be a change that takes place. She will not be the unfaithful bride forever. You see, sometimes we perk up when we hear stories of, say, the prodigal son, or when we hear stories of, say, the whoring wife. We perk up and we love those stories because we see ourselves in them, right? We see ourselves in the prodigal. We see ourselves in the unfaithful wife. We sing the song, Prone to Wander, and we see ourselves there. But do we perk up and do we love it when we hear the call to repentance? When we hear the call to change? When we hear the call to stop being the unfaithful bride? To come home, prodigal son? Do we embrace that part of the story? Or do we just leave it at, yeah, I'm the prodigal, I'm out there. You see, the third fact that we see here in this story of Hosea and Gomer is after she's bought, he brings her home, and what happens? He says, things are changing. I've bought you now, and things are going to be different. He says, now you're going to dwell with me, now you're going to live with me for a very long time. And you're, you're, you're not going to love another man and you will be faithful to me alone. Things are going to change. In 1 Corinthians, where Paul is talking to us about the fact that we have been bought with a price, we are no longer our own, he roots our change. So as we think of our slavery to sin, he roots our change in the very fact that God now owns us. He roots our change in the fact that we have been bought. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price, so therefore, what do you do? Gomer, you change. You glorify God with your body and no other man. Through the purchase of us, God then confronts our two major forms of slavery. In verse 18 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he simply says this. He says, flee sexual immorality. You once gave in to the cravings. 
you once were driven by the, the, your flesh, whatever your body desired. You, 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 you were driven by, you were enslaved to it. You, if your body said, I need this, you turned and you immediately obeyed it. He says, look, you're no longer your own. You are now bought to be the temple for the Holy Spirit which lives within you. And what he's also saying here is now you have a power that is not your own. You not, not only are you commanded to no longer prostitute your body, you now have the ability to no longer prostitute your body. You have a grace that you never had. You have a strength that you never had. And so Paul says there in 1 Corinthians, he simply says, so flee sexual immorality. And we can broaden that to absolutely any craving. Flee the addiction to food. Flee the addiction to, 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 to getting drunk. Flee the addiction to sexual immorality and everything that your body demands of you. He also confronts in the next chapter our other big form of sl slavery. In chapter 7, verse 23, he says, you were bought with a price. He reiterates it. He reminds us again, you have been bought. And then he says, do not become slaves of men. You've been bought by God for a great price, the price of his own son, the price of his own blood. So stop enslaving yourself to man. How are we enslaved to man? Seeking constantly the affirmation, seeking constantly the approval, seeking constantly to meet all of the expectations that are placed upon us and believing that our worth and value comes through meeting those expectations. Moms, how often is your motherhood driven by what other moms think of you? Those of you who are students in the room, how often does worry and anxiety plague you because you have a fear of rejection, a fear of failure? Those of you who are working a job, working a career, how often are your days consumed with the thoughts of others? You see, Gomer's change here in Hosea chapter 3 was a change of ownership. And with the change of ownership now came a change in her value. Why now would Gomer want to run back to another man? Why would she want to seek approval and, and find affirmation in another, in another man when her husband found her worth buying? Her husband found her very valuable. If you were picked last for kickball in third grade, and today, that's, oh, that haunts you. And you're like, jo but Joel, I was picked last for kickball in third grade. You don't understand, like, I, I need the affirmation. I'm, I'm like addicted to finding the affirmation of people and, and being elected for people's teams and because I was picked last in third grade. Like, I wish we could all get in every third grader's face and be like, don't let this screw your life up, all right? Like every child of God say, look, you have been bought with a price by God. Like, forget these kids, all right? Let's go make our own kickball team. You don't need their affirmation. 
And friends, we all laugh because we know how true that is in our lives. How we seek value from other men and women, from from humanity, affirmation and approval. You were dumped, abandoned, an unwanted child. God saw fit to adopt you into his family. You were left by your spouse because you were not pretty enough or successful enough or fun enough. God saw fit to betroth you to himself. You didn't get the job that you were hoping for. God saw fit to employ you in his kingdom. Why seek the recognition in others? Why seek to be approved and valued by man? Since when is God's approval of us not enough? God's purchase in the same way of that Hosea's purchase frees Gomer, God's purchase frees us to obey Him instead of our other idols, our other gods, instead of sin. When we are uh, chaining ourselves to God's view of desire, to God's view of our bodies, to God's view of our sexuality, that becomes a wonderfully, joyfully, and abundantly freeing experience. When we seek God's face and we seek to hear His words of affirmation in our life, as opposed to seeking the face and the words of man, it becomes wonderfully and abundantly freeing in our life. The point here of this third fact is simply this. There will be a change. We will no longer be seeking after the other men in our life. There will be a change. The Christian is one who lives a life of repentance. Last fact here. This last line that Hosea says to his wife, he says, all of these things, you must dwell with me, not play the whore, belong to another man. This last line, look at it. He says, so will I also be to you. Meaning all of these things that I have just said, the demand, the duties, that you will live with me and only me, you will stop running away from me. You will stop sneaking out at nighttime. You will stop running to other lovers. You will be faithful to me. What he's saying is this. And then, listen, I will also be these things to you. I will be faithful to you. I won't run away from you. I won't stop uh, pursuing you. I will never stop loving you. I will belong to you. Think about how radical that is in the context of what's happening. This isn't, this isn't the language of master-slave. I just bought you, now you will be my slave. This is the language of a loving husband and wife relationship. You are mine, and I also am yours. Verse 4, look at that first word, 
It's that conjunction for. Now that's a, an important word here. For. It's a word that comes with force. It's a word that ties now the story of Hosea and Gomer into what he's about to say. So for this reason, you could say, the children of Israel shall dwell many days without kings or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod, ephod or household gods. He's saying there is coming a time now of barrenness. There is a coming, there's a, a, a new wilderness experience, if you would. There's coming a time where you will not experience religious activity. There's coming a time where you will be swept away out of the land into captivity. This is also referring to, I believe, this 400-year period where God just simply stopped speaking to Israel. When Jesus was born and came on the scene, the popular idea of the day was that God hadn't been speaking through the prophets. God had been silent. There's coming this time where things are going to dry up. But look at verse 5. Afterward, everybody say afterward. That's an important word. The children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. And David their king. Now, who is David their king? Because King David is dead by this time. So he's not literally referring here to David, but he's referring to the one who's going to be sitting on David's throne. And who is that? Jesus. So we're seeing Jesus now here. So there's coming this time afterward. They will seek the Lord. And they will seek Jesus. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Now, when we see that word latter days, those two words, we see ourselves. We are living in the latter days. We are living in the last stage of God's redemption. We see now, living in the era that we live in, we see what Hosea didn't see, what Hosea believed by faith but he had yet to see. We see Christ. We see the whole picture of redemption. We see the Son given to us, his righteous life, which is imputed to us for our righteousness. So we can stand before God and be counted worthy and just and righteous. We see his blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. So we can boldly approach the throne and claim the crown of Christ, our own. We see it. We are in the latter days, the last stage of God's redemptive act in this world. What that means is this. When we read this verse, it means we are in this era of returning, seeking our Lord, seeking Jesus, coming in fear, in respect, and honor to God, and then entering into His goodness, entering into His rest, and rest, resting, like now, in the gospel, resting in the goodness that is Christ. 
Have you sought Christ this week? Have you sought Christ this week? Or has the hardness of your hearts enslaved you to other men? Have you sought Christ? Have you, in the mornings, like walked up the mountainside with the hopes of seeing Jesus in all of His glory and catching a glimpse of that so that you can go back down the mountainside and enter into your day in the goodness of God? Or do you spend your mornings worrying about what other people think of you? Have you sought Christ in the evenings before you lay down and go to sleep last night as you prepared or didn't prepare for worship? Did you seek Christ? This morning as we're singing songs, did you seek Christ? Did you seek Him? Friends, we have been given the promise. We seek and we find. We seek and we see Christ. We see His glory. We see His face. And we enter then into His goodness. Or are you in slavery? Are you in slavery to your flesh? Are you in slavery to the desires of your flesh? Does your desire for, uh, for immediate gratification, and so instead of seeking Christ, you're spending time just on Facebook and watching TV and movies, and you're just gratifying your flesh constantly. Are you enslaved? Are you enslaved to the approval of man? You are called to seek after Christ, that which is good. Seek after the Lord. Come before Him in fear. But are you going before man in fear? Are you putting man on a pedestal where man does not belong? Looking at this story here, the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. Who owns me? Who owns me? Am I, am I owned by my flesh? Am I owned by the opinions of other men? And friends, if we are not owned by God, if we are not chained to Christ, we are in slavery to sin. And that slavery is nothing less than standing on the auction block and hearing the the. the, the biddings of human opinion all around you and finding worth in a million other ways. What was Hosea Gomer's only hope? As she's standing there, what was her only hope? It was the love of Hosea. It was the purchase of Hosea. This morning, Jesus is your only hope. Hope. He is all that you have. What must you do to be saved? Look to Christ. See Christ. And when you look, what do you see? You see the same thing that Gomer saw. There she was standing on the auction block, wrists, ankles in chains. 
hearing the, the, the voices and uh, the ins- seeing the inspection of other potential buyers, examining her, scrutinizing her, wondering if she... Uh, she wondering if, if she will be worth it in their eyes to purchase her, wondering whether or not she has value. And then she sees her husband coming toward her. She sees him carrying 15 shekels of silver and the barley from the barn. And he hands it to the merchant, the tears that might have filled her eyes. And she realizes that she has been bought by her husband. Friends, what we see when we look to Christ is no different. We see that God has come into this world, has relentlessly pursued us, has given us Christ, has bought us with his very own blood and has said, now you will live with me. And you will be mine. And you won't keep running out. You won't keep going off to these other idols that you've been going to. But you will be faithful to me. And I will be faithful to you. I will not remove my love from you. We hear him say, I own you. And friends, if God owns you. What more do you need? Let's pray. God, we ask that you seal uh, these words in our hearts. The truth that we have uh, extracted from Hosea chapter 3 this morning that points us to Christ. We see Christ, the better David, sitting on David's throne, ruling and reigning in our hearts. We see that you have pursued us and that you have bought us with his very own life. God, let us just simply rest in your goodness. Let us rest. Let us enter into that. Let us rest in your affirmation, seeking the face of Jesus. Let Jesus be enough for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.